Hello, I'm Mercedes. And I'm Tash, and you're listening to episode 130 of Chat Disney. Welcome back to another episode of the Chat Disney podcast. And this week, we are bringing you a brand new mini series. We do love a mini series here on the Chat Disney podcast. And we are going to be dedicating this mini series to Walt Disney World with its 50th anniversary coming up at the end of this month. And we're going to be talking all about different types of rides. So this week, we're going to be starting off with dark rides. Next week, we're going to be talking about water rides. And we're going to be finishing off the week after that by talking about about all of Walt Disney World's thrill rides. But before we get into that, let's have a quick look at what has been happening in the world of Disney this week. So heading over for some general parks news, first of all, and the parks have been experiencing lower than usual crowds before Halloween season. We know how big Halloween season is in the American parks and to hear that they're experiencing lower than usual crowds is obviously a sign of the times and what has been going on but I'm sure those Halloween festivities will not be affected and will be going off as usual. In other uh, quite quite questionable news, I would say, Disneyland Paris have opened Worlds of Pixar Land. Now this, yes, Worlds of Pixar Land, it does not roll off the tongue very well, basically means that they have taken all the Pixar attractions. So we're talking about the Cars ride, Ratatouille. um, I can't even think what else they've got there, the Slinky Dog thing. And they basically rebranded that whole area as Worlds of Pixar land, which leaves only the magic carpets, the flying carpets, whatever you want to call them, in Toon Studios. So Toon Studios now has one ride and Worlds of Pixar now has a bunch of Pixar attractions, which... To me personally, I don't really see the point in this. I don't think it's added any value into the park. They have put in a new Cars attraction, but, you know, I'm sure there was some thought behind the decision somewhere along the lines. And again, in slightly controversial news, we spoke about the lightning lanes that are replacing fast passes at Walt Disney World and Disneyland Resort. And they are now in place across Walt Disney World. So I'm sure we'll be seeing lots of reviews of that on social media and lots of people talking about how it's all working. Absolutely. And to wrap up today's news, we are going to be talking a little bit about streaming platforms. So last week, Amazon Prime's Cinderella was released. And this is, of course, the adaptation of Cinderella that was written by Andrew Lloyd Webber, and it stars Camille Cabello in the titular role. And we've also got some other celebrities that are probably quite familiar to most of you appearing in this movie. So Billy Porter is playing the fairy godmother. We've got Piers Brosnan in there as well. Minnie Driver, who famously voices Jane from Tarzan. James Corden, who Tash and I chatted about a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about, I've forgotten his name, Jack Whitehall. How could I forget? And he also appears in the Disney movie Into the Woods. And of course, finally, as the evil stepmother, we have got the wonderful, wickedly talented Adele Dazeem, Idina Menzel, who voices Elsa in the Frozen series. Now, this Cinderella adaptation is not Disney, but it stars lots of famous Disney 
actors and actresses. So definitely one that I am going to be watching this week. And final bit of streaming news for you all this week. And I am so excited about this. I'm sure you are as well, Tash, because I know you're a huge Muppets fan. Darren Chris, who is famous for Glee, amongst many other things, and he originated the role of Harry Potter in the Harry Potter musical. And my mind's gone blank, but yeah, Darren Chris, very, very famous person. He is set to star in a brand new Disney Plus original, Muppets Haunted Mansion. So this is going to be based all around the classic Walt Disney World attraction, Haunted Mansion. As I said, it's going to be starring Darren Chris. Apart from the Disney sing-along that the guys did in lockdown, I think this is Darren Chris's first foray into the world of Disney. And I personally feel that it's a match made in heaven. So I'm very excited about this and will definitely be giving it a watch when it comes out. Oh, me too. I'm well excited for this. I don't know how it's going to come across and what it's going to involve but I'm very very excited and that pretty much concludes everything that has been happening in the world of Disney this week we're now going to move on to the main part of the episode chatting all about Walt Disney World's dark rides so when Mercedes and I were discussing the list of dark rides We had some uh, debates about what actually is classed as a dark ride. So Mercedes went online and looked up a description, if you will, of a dark ride. Mercedes, do you have that description there? I I actually don't, but I can paraphrase. But essentially, a dark ride is a term that Disney coined themselves. And it's basically an extension of the classic ghost train. So ghost trains are attractions that were often found at carnivals and at fairs. And Disney really embellished on this idea and brought us things like It's a Small World and the Alice in Wonderland attraction that we have in Fantasyland in Disneyland in California. basically created this whole new type of attraction. They are indoor experiences. They're normally quite slow. They normally don't have too many thrills in terms of drops and and twists and things like that. Otherwise, they would be classified as coasters. And generally speaking, they are family attractions, although there are a couple of exceptions, as I'm sure we'll discover today. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and we've we've kind of decided that there are different levels of dark ride, shall, shall we say. So, I think let's start off with talking about what I would call your traditional dark ride. So I'm talking about your Peter Pan, your Snow White, your Pinocchio, those sorts of things. Probably the sorts of rides, maybe with the exception of Peter Pan, that I'm not so bothered about going on anymore. If I've got time to kill in in the park, I'll, I'll go on them. But, you know, I'm not itching to get on to Pinocchio's Daring Journey or Snow White. I know they've changed the name or is that just in Disneyland? I'm not in a hurry to get on any of those attractions right now. Yeah, I I would have to echo this. And, you know, it's not a secret that I'm not a fan of Small World. And I mentioned Small World earlier because it is one of the attractions that was mentioned in this article that had the definition of a dark ride. But as Tash said, we had our own idea of what makes a dark ride. So we've actually not included anything today that's set in water because we are going to be talking about water rides next week, as Tash said. So we will not be focusing on It's a Small World. But my 
my feelings and the emotions that I have for that attraction are echoed in some of these other dark rides. They're not my favorite. They are normally aimed at young children. And therefore, for the thrill seekers out there like myself, they can be a little bit mundane and quite tiresome. But let's have a quick look at some of those more traditional dark ride attractions that we have at Walt Disney World. And unsurprisingly, probably to most of you, the majority of these do sit in the Magic Kingdom, which is the traditional Disneyland style park that we have in Orlando. So the first one is Peter Pan, which Tash has mentioned already. Now let's talk a little bit about Peter Pan. Peter Pan is a really interesting one. So it's one of the only traditional dark rides that actually got to stay in Fantasyland when the Disney company redid Fantasyland and created new Fantasyland in 2012 they got rid of the Pinocchio attraction and Snow White's Scary Adventure you can still ride these in Disneyland and in Disneyland Paris so if they're your favorite ride fear not but at Walt Disney World they are no longer there but Peter Pan got to stay and I don't know what it is about Peter Pan but it definitely the most popular out of those three attractions. You only have to look at the wait times in Disneyland Paris to see that, you know, Peter Pan has always got queues between an hour to 90 minutes. The fast passes run out, you know, before lunchtime, whereas Pinocchio and Snow White will often have queues of kind of 15, 20 minutes, sometimes even less. So what do you think it is, Tash, about Peter Pan that makes it really stand out from the crowd? I think that it's the fact that you are sitting in a ship and that it's going from above, like you're being hung rather than in a traditional car. It's a little bit different in comparison to, you know, Alice in Wonderland, Pinocchio, Snow White. I vividly remember the first time I went to Disneyland, my parents bought this book um, and it was all about Disneyland and it was all about the attractions and the rides that they had there. And I remember the way that they wrote about Peter Pan as if it was this most exciting attraction that you could ever ever imagine. Like you were hung from the air. Like, I think that's what it is. It's a little bit different from some of those other rides. Like if you think about it, they're all grounded. Whereas, yeah, you fly over everything in Peter Pan. I just think that, yeah, that that would be the one out of those kind of more younger audience dark rides that is the one that I would say I have the most interest in and the most desire to go on. Yeah, I definitely agree. And as I say, it's not one of my favorite attractions. I do find it quite boring. But even now, that moment when you're flying over London and you can see the buildings and the cars beneath you, it is breathtaking. And you can totally understand why small children love that moment. And I guess the difference is as well, you know, Snow White and Pinocchio, you're kind of walking through the film. Pinocchio is obviously set in Italy. Snow White set in Germany, whereas Peter Pan is set in Neverland. So we start in the United Kingdom in London and then we get to make that flight that Wendy, John and Michael make. We get to follow the second star to the right and, and end up in Neverland where there's pirates and mermaids and all these other kind of mysterious mythical beings. So I guess there's that element too. So awesome. That is Peter Pan, which, as I say, is obviously located in fantasy land in the magic kingdom and whilst the majority of these attractions are based in fantasy land i think the most popular dark ride at walt disney world is actually in epcot in the norway pavilion and i am of course talking about frozen ever after now this is one's a little bit controversial because this one i guess is water based but i think because of the fact that it's got disney ip disney classic characters we'll we'll talk about it today so traditionally this attraction was called maelstrom and it was 
a Norwegian legend, a Norwegian troll legend, and you were kind of going through all this gorgeous Norwegian landscape, and then you were about to fall down this waterfall, sort of down a cliff, and then this huge, scary troll emerged and said, go away, and, and you were sort of, you know, before you know it, traveling backwards quickly down a water slide. But the attraction, whilst it's the same track in Frozen Ever After, is a lot tamer from what I can see on YouTube. But Tash, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you actually rode this when you went to Walt Disney World last year. So you can probably speak to this a lot better than I can. I did. And I would put this in a different level from Peter Pan, Snow White, etc. because it is a bit more thrilling and a bit more exciting. I would say this is, you know, more family friendly. Like I went on this by myself and I loved it. I thought it was really exciting. And I think with this ride as well, the technology that they use for those characters. Obviously, we've got the animatronics of Anna and Elsa and the characters, but then we've got the the visual faces that use the screen technology. And I think this completely highlights how how out of date maybe something like Snow White is with some of their animatronics. I mean, I'm I'm thinking specifically about different park here in Disneyland Paris with the faces of those animatronics at the end of Snow White and the Prince are just absolutely diabolical. Like they massively need to be updated. So yeah, for me, I really, really enjoyed the Frozen one. It was, yeah, it was quite tame, but I also think as well, it being a water ride adds that element of of excitement to it as well. Obviously I never went on Maelstrom, so I've got, I've not got that to compare it to to say how much tamer it is than that was but as dark rides go and rides that are based at younger audiences I think this is it's quite a thrilling attraction nice yeah I mean I've been on Maelstrom and I've watched videos of Frozen Ever After on YouTube and from what I can tell I think it's fairly similar I think the difference is instead of a scary troll screaming at you and then you going backwards quite quickly I think you know it's it's Elsa's ice powers and her going let it go that then forces you to go backwards so it's just a different feeling and probably less dramatic and less intense because it's not you know you're not traveling backwards out of fear you're traveling backwards out of like amazing magical ice powers which obviously is going to put you in a better mood and speaking of water there is of course a slightly newer dark ride that we have in new fantasy land as well which is based under the sea although it's not a water attraction and that is of course the little mermaid dark ride which I believe is called Voyage of the Little Mermaid. Now, I have been on this, but I've actually been on it at Disney's California Adventure, but I believe it is the same attraction. So, Tash, we know you're a huge Little Mermaid fan. Ariel was your favourite Disney princess. What did you make of this attraction when you went on it? Um, Again, I haven't been on this at Walt Disney World. I really wanted to go on it, but the queue for it was always ridiculous. Like, it was, I mean, not ridiculous. It was, like, probably over an hour, but for... Benji, that's a long time to wait for a dark ride in Fantasyland. He wasn't having any of it. And I was like, yeah, I'm not going to wait for an hour to go on that by myself. But again, I have been on the one in California Adventure. And my memory of that is a little bit outdated because it was, what, a good 10 years ago now, probably. But I remember really enjoying that ride at the time. Again, I think it's got that slight step above the dark rides like Alice in Wonderland, Peter Pan, um, not Peter Pan, maybe, but Pinocchio. Um, but maybe that's just because I am biased because I love The Little Mermaid so much. Yeah, I personally would put it in the same. But I mean, the, the difference is, again, you know, 
Pinocchio, I'm being trapped in a in a cage, and then I'm scared that a whale's going to swallow me. Whereas the Little Mermaid, I'm singing along with Sebastian and Co. So it is a more enjoyable experience. But I don't think that's because of the ride technology. I think it's because the music's better and the narrative and the the places that you're taken to are better. So I would say this one's definitely more enjoyable for children for that reason. And so therefore I, I enjoy it more. So before we kind of um, head into maybe some of these other attractions that are a step up to use your phraseology, Tash, there are a couple of other dark rides at Walt Disney World that I just wanted to, to mention. So the first three here are all from Epcot. And they are the Finding Nemo attraction. I cannot remember the official name of this one, but it's the one that's in the seas at Epcot. And you're in like a big kind of pink clam. And to be honest, it's probably one of the most boring attractions I think at Epcot. So we won't dwell on that. But actually, I will be interested. Did you go on it, Tash? I did, yeah. And again, I, I wasn't that impressed by it. I think it could have been done so much, so much better. I think that was a real letdown, that ride. Yeah, I agree. And then the other two Epcot dark rides are, of course, Journey into the Imagination with Figment, which I've spoken before on the podcast about how much I detest that attraction. And then Spaceship Earth, which I actually really like Spaceship Earth. I know you fell asleep on it, Dash, but... I like how, you know, it uses animatronic technology to tell the history of humanity. It's very educational, but still classic Disney with, you know, the fact that it's animatronics and and so on. And then the final sort of more traditional dark ride, and this really is, I would say, the most traditional dark ride at Walt Disney World when we think about the history of the dark ride and the fact that they came from ghost trains, is, of course, the Haunted Mansion. And what's really interesting is that when Tash and I were compiling this list, we were like, Haunted Mansion, that's scary, that's a thrill ride. But if you look online, you know, Wikipedia does not lie, it is the ultimate dark ride and definitely the most in keeping with what the definition of a dark ride is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah, because it's not, I wouldn't say it's thrilling in the same way as like, a coaster is or something like that like space mountain but it has got that bit more exciting but it's the perfect family ride that I remember going on it when I was 10 and I was petrified but then I loved it and I thought it was quite cool like going on like this creepy scary-ish ride um, but I think they've got a really good balance between it being thrilling uh, not thrilling you know it's quite tame in like movement but obviously the atmosphere the character the story is all a bit more thrilling um and comedy and like family um family like not family values but how it's orientated or like geared towards a family so yeah I think that it does fit in with being a dark ride but again it's it's that different level I wouldn't class it as the same I think we need to give these rides a name within like the dark ride category because I wouldn't class this as the same as Snow White for example the kids rides yeah yeah the kids dark rides and these are like the family dark rides yeah I I I know what you mean is I would I would say these are the thrill-seeking dark rides right there's an element of danger there's an element of fear that's there so yeah I mean I love the haunted haunted mansion I love phantom manor we we talk about these attractions all the time 
and you know they're they're some of our favorites so we've spoken about how there's these kind of different levels of dark rides and there is a whole new category of dark ride which has emerged throughout all of the disney parks over the last sort of 10 years or so and that is the shooting dark ride so the basic sort of principle here is that disney have taken a traditional arcade shooter attraction I mean, if you can really call that an attraction, we do see some traditional arcade shooters in Frontierland at Disneyland Paris. And it's essentially one of these things where, you know, you put in a couple of coins and then you get so many shots and you hit targets and things move. And I think sometimes you can win a prize and that's kind of it. So Disney have taken this principle, this shooting arcade idea and applied it to a dark ride. And this has given us a couple of different attractions at Walt Disney Parks and at Walt Disney World. It's given us Buzz Lightyear in uh Tomorrowland, I had to remember what it was called then. I was going to say Frontierland, that's not correct. So it's given us Buzz Lightyear in Discoveryland, Tomorrowland, depending on which park you're in. And it's given us Toy Story Mania in Hollywood Studios in Walt Disney World as well. Now, anybody that listens to this podcast will know that Tash hates these rides and she'll tell you it's because she doesn't like the competitiveness or whatever. But I personally think it's because she's a bad loser. I actually don't hate Toy Story Mania. I don't, I, I do hate, well, hate's a strong word. I don't hate Buzz Lightyear, but I don't enjoy it. I would happily miss it out, let's say. But Toy Story Mania, I've been on it in Tokyo and I've been on it in Walt Disney World. And I do actually think it's very well done. I like the fact that it's not just going around shooting like the same old target. I like the fact that like the games change up. I think that's quite original. So I'm not so bad at being a sore loser in that one because I find the ride more entertaining and I think the way that it's all done and like the queue is immersive like I, I think it's been very very well executed that ride yeah Toy Story Mania is definitely one of my favorite Walt Disney World attractions definitely top 10 depending on what day of the week it is potentially even top five I absolutely cannot sing Toy Story Mania enough praises I think it's awesome I remember the first time I ever went on it it was 2009 and I was at Walt Disney World with my family and it had just come out and it was a three-hour queue and there were fast passes available, but they were for like four hours time. And we had done everything that we wanted to do at Hollywood Studios. So we decided to suck it up and do the three hour queue. I can't believe we did that, but we did. And it didn't end up being three hours. I think it was like two and a half hours, but it just flew by. As you say, Tash, the queue is so immersive. There's so many things to entertain, entertain you and occupy you. And I am not suggesting that anybody should queue three hours for an attraction. I'm really not. And I can't believe that that was my parents' thought process. I mean, four hours at Hollywood Studios, I'd go and have a carrot cake cookie. I'd watch some of the performances in the street. There are so many things I would rather do than queue for an attraction for that long. But there we go. That was the decision we made in 2009. And if it was that or walk away and never go on it, then I'm very pleased with the decision that we made. And yeah, we went on it again in 2012 when we went back. And I've also been on it at Disney. California Adventure in California and I remember we actually had a version of it on the Wii when we were growing up so after we went on it in 2009 we loved it so much that we bought the Toy Story Mania Wii game and it came with 3D glasses and honestly it's the closest you're going to get to a Disney attraction in your own home it was not bad 
That's pretty cool. I didn't, didn't know that existed. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it kind of tells you the difference in the rides if you compare it to Buzz Lightyear, doesn't it? Like, even when I went, we had a fast pass, I believe, for Toy Story Mania, but we still had to wait a while. And I think the queues throughout the day was still, you know, more than an hour. Whereas you think of something like Buzz Lightyear, that's never got a queue longer than 15 minutes, has it? <laughs> No, and like if you look at this new Disneyland Paris fast pass system where you pay by the attraction, Buzz Lightyear is the cheapest ticket. You know, Peter Pan is tier one and Buzz Lightyear is the cheapest. So there's obviously just something about that ride that doesn't quite resonate. I think it was a fantastic, you know, early concept of kind of blending the arcade shooter with the dark ride to see if it works. And obviously it did. And it's given us something like Toy Story Mania. But I really feel that with how successful Toy Story Mania is, it really is time to either upgrade those Buzz Lightyear attractions or just let them go. Because especially when you're somewhere like Walt Disney World, who's going to ride Buzz Lightyear when you've got Toy Story Mania in the park next door? It's a no-brainer. You just wouldn't bother. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, who's paying for a fast pass for Buzz Lightyear? (laughs) God knows. Everything has a fan. So shall we move on to the final category of dark rides? And these are some of the newest dark rides that the Walt Disney Company have been producing and some of the most exciting right now. And these are, of course, the trackless dark ride. So very, very similarly to the traditional dark ride in that you're kind of going through a narrative, normally the plot of a movie or something like that. But the difference is here is the main difference is that every time you ride the attraction, you're going to get a slightly different perspective because there's no track. So you don't have a car immediately in front of you and a car immediately behind. There's lots of different paths that the ride vehicle can take on a completely track-free attraction. So it's just, you know, Dark Ride 2.0, Dark Rides of the Future. And we've got a handful of these at Walt Disney World, the first of which to ever um, grace us with its presence was the Winnie the Pooh attraction. So this replaced Mr. Toad's Wild Ride or whatever it was called. Did they have Mr. Toad at California, Tash? Have you ever been on Mr. Toad? They did, yeah. They used to have it in Mickey's Toontown up in the corner. Yes, I've been on it a a few times, Um, but I don't think it's any great loss that that ride is no longer. Nice. I, yeah, I went on it at Walt Disney World and yeah, I mean, come on. So I have been on Winnie the Pooh and I'm not a big Winnie the Pooh fan, to be completely honest. I'm probably a little bit biased. I know you really like this attraction, Tash, but it's not one of my favourites. Yeah, see, I, again, I didn't go on, don't, I don't think I went on the one in Florida, but I have been on the one in Shanghai. And I, as a dark ride, as dark rides go, I do really like that attraction. It's, again, it uses the trackless system. I think it's a bit more modern and it kind of, there's the bit where you're in the Tigger bit and it like bounces. And then there's a bit when you're going through the stream and it feels more like flowy, like you're in the water. I do think it's quite clever. And I do, again, I think it's done well for a kid's dark ride. Yeah, it's funny because when you were talking about the trackless version at Tokyo and how everyone says it's the best ride, I think it's called Pooh's Honey Hunt over there and how it's just so different from anything else. I was like, oh yeah, sounds great. Completely forgetting the fact that I had been on it at Magic Kingdom and it was so underwhelming to me that I didn't even realise that version was the same as this amazing Tokyo version but they are exactly the same and I didn't even notice it was trackless if I'm completely honest which I guess if you went on something once like why would you notice I guess I I don't know and I wasn't looking out for it but I do really remember the Tigger jumping bit and I thought that was quite cool but as I say you know I went on it when I was like 18 
obviously I wasn't that into Winnie the Pooh. So we do have a few other newer trackless dark rides at Walt Disney World, one of which has just opened or not quite opened, depending on what day of the week you're listening to this i'm not sure when the exact release date is and that is of course the ratatouille attraction at the french pavilion in epcot and tash we have ridden this one yes we have in disneyland paris so i've only been on it once and i i'm not one of those people i'm very different to mercedes i don't look at rides ride povs on youtube before i go to a park unless maybe it's something like tokyo where i know like i'm probably never going to go back there or not for many many years I don't like to ruin the element of surprise. Let's say so. I had no idea about the Ratatouille ride apart from the fact that it was trackless. And oh my God, I love this ride. I think it's so well done. Like it's a whole nother ball game of dark ride with the smells and the technology and the screens. Like you feel like you're there. It reminded me almost of Pirates of the Caribbean in Shanghai, the way you kind of feel like you're going into those screens that I, I think it's very very cleverly done this ride and you can totally understand why it always has such a big queue and there's such a high demand for fast passes with this one yeah I completely agree the only criticism I have of this ride and I don't know if you can cast your mind back to when we went Tash but I remember we were in a group of four girls and obviously you can fit four in the ride vehicle, maybe six actually. But I remember I said Tash needs to sit in front because she's never been on it before. Because unfortunately, when you do sit in the back, particularly if you've got somebody in front of you that's wearing mini ears or is particularly tall or anything like that, you do get a bit of an obstructed view. And this is the case with a few Disney attractions. And in some attractions, it doesn't really matter. But unfortunately, Ratatouille is one of those ones. I think it's because of the screen technology soaring is the same as well but if you have got anything kind of obstructing your vision it can take away from your enjoyment but apart from that as long as you're up front and you know you're you're fully immersed in the attraction you're good to go I I love Ratatouille and the other thing as well is you have to look where they where they want you to look so it's one of those attractions again if you turn your head slightly and you see things being reset it just completely ruins the illusion It does. But what I will say is if you are like me and you do have a kind of satanic curiosity and you're a big Disney fan and you've been on the ride a few times, I have been to Disneyland Paris maybe three times and this attraction has been open. And then on both of those trips, probably went on it twice, three times. So I've probably been on it. If I had to take a wild guess, I'd say seven times, let's say, for argument's sake. And the most recent time that we went, so it's probably the second or third time that we went on it together, Tash, in our 2020 trip, I did start to look around. Not at things being reset, but there are moments where you're in a group and then there are moments where you're alone. And I was kind of curious to know how that works. And I did start to look around and I, it didn't take away from my experience because I've been on it so many times at that point. And as I say, I I was curious. I wanted to know how it was done. And I did look and actually it gave me even more of a, I guess, appreciation for how clever these Imagineers are. And it's a little bit like for anyone that's been to Universal and been on the Simpsons ride, if you lean forward from your ride vehicle and look left and right, you'll see that all of a sudden there's 50 ride vehicles and you're not alone. And you're like, oh, wow, this is cool. So it's kind of that moment. I think when you've been on a ride many, 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 many times and then you discover how it's done, that's always like, oh, cool. A little bit like you with the Jack Sparrow illusion on Pirates. (laughs) Yes, definitely. I do think there is something about 
letting your inquisitive side take over and get the better of you it's not always a good thing no sometimes it is not so there are two more dark rides at Walt Disney World that I want to talk about today and unfortunately I've been on neither of them so Tash I don't know if you have I know you haven't definitely not been on one but I don't know about the other one the first one is Rise of the Resistance so this is the newest attraction at Walt Disney World it's in Galaxy's Edge in Hollywood Studios you can also ride it at the original Disneyland in California as well if you've got a trip planned and all I have heard about this attraction is just complete positivity. My sister's friend, Emma, lives in California and she went on it recently and literally she had nothing to say about her Disneyland trip apart from how incredible this attraction is. Everybody says how amazing it is. I've watched several walkthrough videos, of course, and honestly, this is next level. Like it makes Pirates of the Caribbean, Shanghai look basic. And that is saying something because I think that is the greatest attraction of all time. This is, you know, that Shanghai Pirates technology like escalate. Like, oh, this, honestly, I'm getting so excited talking about it and I haven't even been on it yet. I can only imagine how incredible it is to go on that ride. And it almost feels like giving it a bit of a kick to say that it's a dark ride because we do associate dark rides with, you know, Peter Pan and Frozen and things like that. But I I cannot wait to go on, on Rise of the Resistance. And then the second one, and this is the one that I'm not sure if you've been on, Tash, is Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railroad. So this replaced the great movie ride at Hollywood Studios much to lots of fans dismay that was a very beloved dark ride and I don't know too much about it to be completely honest so Tash did you get to go on it did you see anything when you were there I didn't know it wasn't open yet when I was there um I think it opened shortly after I had been or maybe not because that's when the pandemic hit but it wasn't open but yeah again I know that people rave about this ride as well But for me, I'm just gutted because I never got to go on the great movie ride and I feel like I would have loved that attraction. And also it uses that animation style of Mickey and Minnie and the gang that I just, I can't stand. I hate that animation style. So I just feel like for me, that ride, again, it's it's kind of like Rise of the Resistance. Like, yes, I'm sure the technology is amazing and I would love to go on it. But part of me also thinks that would it just be a bit lost on me because I'm not into Star Wars? And that's how I feel about this Minnie and Mickey runaway railway, whatever it's called. I don't like that animation style. So I just don't know if I would warm up to it. Yeah, I don't think that would be a problem for you with Star Wars because like I talk about this all the time, but my mum's favourite ride at Disney is, is Star Tours. She hates Star Wars. She's never seen a film, but because the ride is so great, she just loves it. And I genuinely think Rise of the Resistance would have a similar feeling. With Minnie and Mickey, it's different because it's not just something you're not into or don't really like. It's actually a version of something that you love that you hate. And that's different. That creates real passion and real anger. And I agree. I hate that. I think it's 2013 or 2014 Mickey style. I really detest it. They use it actually on the Hollywood Studios logo now. And it's just so, he looks like he's got some sort of like I don't know, disease that he's picked up on the streets from a rat or something. He he looks demented and goofy. He looks like he's got rabies or something. I honestly 
I I really can't stand the animation style as well. So I really, really hope that that doesn't impact the attraction too much. I would have loved to have seen something modern, but maybe something a little bit more like Get a Horse, the the, um, short that we got before Tangled. I think that was 2011, 2010, something like that, where it's a CGI Mickey, but it still looks like that traditional Mickey that we're used to. I I really hate this, this new Mickey as well. I actually haven't watched a ride through of this, if you can believe that. Wow, I'm very impressed by that. Neither have I, obviously, because I do plan to ride it at some point. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I completely agree with everything that you're saying. I just think it looks cheap, that animation style. It's just not for me at all. And I feel like it would ruin the ride. Like, I almost view that Mickey as a completely different Mickey. Yeah, it's not Mickey. It's like Mortimer or just some other imposter. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> So I think we've pretty much covered all of the dark rides in whatever way, shape or form that they are. So Mercedes, if you had to summarise, what is your favourite dark ride? This is difficult because I used to love Maelstrom and I haven't been on Frozen Ever After and I have a sneaky suspicion that if I had, that would probably be my favourite. But as I've not been on it, I... Oh, it's got to be Haunted Mansion, surely. Yeah, I wondered why you were even thinking about it. <laughs> but yeah, if, if if we took Haunted Mansion out of this, because I think that's a given, I would probably say mine is the Frozen, Frozen Ever After, I think it's called. Um, just because it is that traditional dark ride, but you've got that great technology that makes it very updated and modern. Plus you have got that element of thrill of being in a boat and it being a water ride in the dark and it goes backwards. So yeah, for me, that kind of ticks all the boxes. Yeah, I'm not allowed to have that one because I haven't been on it. But I would, I'd say Toy Story Mania, which again, I know it's a bit of a cop out because it's got that extra element. But yeah, out of the attractions that we've spoken about today, it would be that. So next week, as I said, we will be talking all about water rides. So do get in touch and let us know what your favourite water ride is. You can reach us as always on Instagram at Chat Disney. Or you can always send us a tweet. Our Twitter is at ChatDisneyUK. We are now going to move into our final section of the episode, A Dummy's Guide. So today it is Mercedes' turn to be the dummy, although I am also a dummy because this is not a subject matter of something that I am very familiar on, although probably slightly more familiar than Mercedes on. And uh, very random, I don't know why we're going to be talking about this film, but Mercedes I thought it would be a good idea for her to do a dummy's guide to Pete's Dragon. <laughs> now, Mercedes, are we doing the 1977 Pete's Dragon or the 2016 Pete's Dragon? I mean, I know nothing about either of them, but I'm going to go with the original. And if okay. there are nuances and differences between them, which I'm sure there are, then I'm going for the the old one. And yeah, it's a bit random, but I just figured, you know, Cash is always the dummy, bless her. She doesn't know about Marvel. She doesn't know about Star Wars. So I was trying to think of something I don't know anything about. And I, I, I barely know anything about these <laughs> records. <laughs> Well, I'm sure he'll know more more than I. <laughs> so I'm going to attempt to tell you the plot of Peach Dragon. I've never seen this film, so this is my dummy's guide of, of what Peach Dragon is. So there's a little boy called Pete, and I, I think that the film is set in the south of America, like Kansas or... 
Texas or Massachusetts, which I know isn't in the South, but I just feel like it's that kind of setting. And I feel like it's turn of the century, like maybe early 1900s setting. I feel like Pete is quite a scarecrow-like child, like sort of blonde, crazy hair, dungarees and a checkered shirt. And I don't think Pete's got any friends, if I'm being honest with you. I feel like he's quite bullied and, and picked on by his peers. And one day, you know, something gets the better of him and he just gets really upset and he starts crying and then the dragon appears. It's weird because I always thought the dragon was called Pete, but obviously now I'm telling the story, I figured that Pete is obviously the the, the child. I don't know what the dragon's name is. Um, I'm going to call him, I don't know what he'd be called, I'm looking at Pekin for inspiration, my, my puppy. I reckon he's called like Fiero or Figaro or something <laughs> or... Oh, what's his name? I can really visualize his face. He's green with like purple hair or like Mustafa or I don't know. I don't know what he's called. I'm going to call him Mustafa. <laughs> so Mustafa appears and he's like, hey there. And Pete's like, oh my God, a dragon. Obviously it's a cartoon in the in the 70s, but in the uh, live action, it, it is not CGI. And he's like, why so sad? And he's like, no one wants to play with me. Oh, don't feel bad, Pete. I'll play with you. And then they start playing together and he has a great time. And then his parents are like, Pete, come in for dinner. And he's like, oh, Mustafa needs food too. And then they're like, what? And they think he's crazy. And then this goes on and on and on playing with him and the parents not believing him. Kids at school get wind of this crazy dragon character and they start bullying him even more it gets really bad and the parents want to send him to like a mental institution because they just don't believe that this dragon exists and in the end they can see the dragon and then they're like oh we're so sorry that we that we judged you Pete like we can see that Mustafa is not you know part of your imagination like he's real whatever and then he has a really good relationship with his family and they learn to get on and he makes some friends like of his own. And then when Mustafa is satisfied that Pete is okay, he disappears and he's like, you don't need me anymore. And then he disappears into the distance. You're actually not far off, you know, like you're quite, I mean, there are some details that you completely weigh off, but like the general plot, you weren't miles away. Okay. Um, so it is set, it is set in New England and is it is it? Set, yeah, and it is set in the early 1900s. So it's near like Massachusetts, like I yeah, said. Yeah. One um, detail that you didn't mention is that it is a musical. Is it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't yeah, think so. it would. Can you sing me a song? I could not sing you any you song. Tell me, like, is there a song, like a main song that I would know? I don't think so. Bear in mind, I saw this film many times as a child and I can't think of any songs. The 2016 version is definitely not a musical, but this 1977 version is a musical. So oh, there we that's go. that's surprising. Um, the, Pete, the, the dragon's name, what did you go with? Mustafa? Yeah. <laughs> so the dragon is called Elliot. <laughs> oh, maybe I, maybe I did know that. Yeah, it's, it's a human name. Um, but yeah, so Pete is, an I think he's an orphan, and he's he worked a lot, or he's like been adopted by this horrible family who basically mis they use him as a bit of a Cinderella type character. They're not very nice to him, so he runs away from them. 
And I think, I might be wrong, but I think that we don't see a first meeting between him and Pete. I think Pete is just there automatically. And one big detail about Pete is that Pete is actually invisible. Do you mean Elliot? Elliot, yes. <laughs> it is confusing. So Elliot is actually invisible. I don't think... Yeah, we're I, I, I didn't say that, but I kind of was alluding to it. Like, he's clearly an imaginary character. Right. So, yeah, and it basically follows them on their, their journey and their adventure, and they go and they move in with this old man and his wife who live in a lighthouse. I vividly remember that bit of the film. And basically, because no one can see Elliot everyone thinks that Pete is like this really like ridiculously clumsy boy who like misbehaves. He gets blamed for a lot of stuff at school going wrong because it's Elliot's fault, but people think that it's, it's Pete's fault. Um, and then I can't really remember what happens, but obviously there's some big ruckus that happens in, in the town and everything goes wrong. And Elliot ends up saving the day. I think he ends up saving the wife or the teacher. Um, and then, people finally believe Elliot that he's real. And then at the end, he pretty much had his spot on. Elliot has, like, says he has to go off because Pete no longer needs him. He's, you know, he's he's got a good family life. He's been adopted by this man and woman in the lighthouse and he's, he's made some friends. He saved the day. And so Pete then has to go off to help another child in need. I mean, it's kind of like a hybrid of E.T. and Mary Poppins, so I definitely should have guessed the name Elliot from E.T. I wonder if that's where they were going with that when they named the child. But um, great. Well, I definitely don't need to see the film then because I basically guessed the plot. Yes, well done. The 2016 one is completely different, if I remember rightly. It's more... I think it's more a similar kind of context in of why the dragon becomes friends with Pete. But I think it's more about Pete's home. Pete, this is really confusing. Elliot's home. Elliot lives in the woods. And I think it's got a bit more of like a conservation story going on with it. And there's some some loggers who want to destroy his home. And there's a big battle and not a big battle, but like there's a big protest about it. I can't really remember. I only saw it once and it was on a plane. But yeah, it's, it's quite different. But well done. You did very well. Thanks. I'm really pleased about the New England aspect. I just, Massachusetts was in my head. It's probably not Massachusetts, but that's good enough for me. And are there any other movies or TV shows that Tash and I have ever said that we've not watched that you would like to hear us do a dummies guide to? Remember, you can contact us on social or you can always send us an email. Our email address is chatdisneyuk at gmail.com. That is it for today. We will be back next week talking all about water rides. So do tune in next Monday at the same time. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Goodbye now. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye.